Good evening, and welcome to the Cabinet of Fever Dreams. Tonight's a tale of virtual reality, science, and everyone's favorite egg-shaped academic. This is the chapter of Professor Egghead's Metaverse Adventure, read to you by me, Mike Jesus Langer, and presented with musical backing by Carl Casey, The Dark Side of Music, and Petra Merdian. If you want to catch up on all of the chapters of the novella, make sure to pop by this corner of the internet again in a few days. New episodes of The Cabinet of Fever Dreams come out every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. Also, if you want to help the show get cozy with the many-armed spider god of the algorithm, please consider rating us 5 stars on Spotify or leaving an iTunes review. The internet is a cruel place for small content creators and every little bit of engagement helps. With all that said, put on your VR headset and make sure it's snug. It won't be coming off for a while. Matt, if you can hear this, I'm still alive. I'm still inside of the simulation. I don't know how, I don't know why, but I'm still here. I have no body to return to, and I am certain of that. But I'm certain of something else as well. Professor Egghead must be stopped. The slice of bus station pizza that I brought to satiate my hunger sits on my kitchen table. The food has long gone cold, and its covering of grease is starting to solidify into a viscous film of white. I've not eaten for over a day, and there's a sharp pain in my stomach to remind me of that. Yet instead of picking up this stale-smelling junk food, I take out my phone. My nailless finger disagree with the touchscreen, but eventually I manage to make my way to a delivery app. I tell myself I'm just getting some groceries, but I know full well that I am preparing for an expedition. With my misshapen thumb, I tick the instant delivery option. I ignore the warnings of search pricing. I am not a poor man. Some of my developer tools are still active, and even one look at this Professor Egghead code is enough to make me sick. He's not done. He's trying to spread whatever poison kept us trapped inside of the virtual world as far as he can. You've escaped. I'll make do with my situation, but there's still others. The moment this code hits an active community, hell, even a beta test, there's going to be mass carnage. I've tried contacting corporate. I've tried getting someone to do something about the spreading virus, but it's like talking to a wall. Something must be done. I know it's a lot to ask, Matt, but I promise you I have exhausted all other options. You need to come back. You need to come back to the virtual world and put an end to this madness. The delivery boy stares at me like I'm a monster. When I see my reflection in the elevator mirror, I don't find myself disagreeing with his judgment. My face is scarred and unshaven. My arms look like they have been ripped off of a corpse. My whole body stands as if animated by some nefarious force. It takes me multiple trips to get all the bottled water and packages of cereal into my apartment, yet the whole unloading affair goes by quicker than the handful of steps needed to reach my closet. It takes even longer for my shaking hands to open the duffel bag. The key to defeating the egghead is to destroy his source of power. His touch spreads the corruption, but it's the blue light that is the real danger. Wherever that light is coming from, whatever is holding people trapped in the virtual world, it needs to be destroyed. Disaster is waiting around the corner, and you're the only one that can stop it. Matt, please, do the right thing. Dried blood and flakes of long dead skin spill out of the virtual reality gloves. They seem tight, far too tight to fit my bloated hands. With one swift motion, however, they wrap around my digits like a second skin. 
I hold the white headset long enough for doubt to slither into my mind, yet my inner monologue is impossible to follow with Simon's voice booming in my skull. I grit my teeth and don my white crown. The plastic presses up against my scars like a puzzle piece falling into place. Simon's voice goes quiet. I no longer inhabit the body that could hear him. Seasons have gone by, but it only feels like a moment has passed. The tips of my fingers are black once more, and my leg is unwell, and I feel the bruises of past battles flare up all across my body. The zipper of my coat is still melted and torn, and the gunk of the sex sphinx's orifice still covers most of my body. The mucus has dried into thick streaks of yellowed white, and the moment I move my body, they flake off me like long dead skin. I'm back in the virtual office, but it is ruined beyond repair. The plaster on the walls is scratched and dented and the furniture looks as if it's been nibbled on by sharp little teeth. Beyond the window, the view has changed as well. Long gone is the low polygon parking lot and golden hour sun. All that exists around the virtual office now are blocks of perfectly rendered cement set against the pale snowy sky. I am back in the Soviet hellscape of Professor Egghead's metaverse adventure. My headset comes off without any resistance, but taking it off still leaves me breathless. The thought of the tenor of danger that I'm exposing myself to strikes me hard enough to reconsider, yet Simon's voice chases it away. The key to defeating the egghead, he says, is to destroy his source of power. I take a long drink of water, eat a couple handfuls of cereal, and then urinate. When I return to my living room, I make sure that all of my food and drink could be reached by a man ensnared in a digital world. Simon's ever-repeating plea for help keeps me company as I set up for my expedition. It's not until I enter the metaverse a second time that I notice her. Her skin has gone gray enough to fit in with the wallpaper and her hazel eyes are replaced by empty crusted sockets, but her bright smile still remains. I try to remind myself that she's just a collection of code and pixels. Thank you, Sally. I'm sorry it had to be this way. I finally say when the thought of her personhood refuses to depart. Sally's body lays dead in the corner of my office, yet both Simon's corpse and head remain absent. For a while I search for them, hoping that perhaps he is still alive in some shape or form, but I find no evidence to support my claim. The freezing air of the Soviet hellscape is much easier to bear in an arctic coat than in a t-shirt. I exit the office in high spirits, certain that I will bring an end to the egghead's reign. My morale dips somewhat when I realize that I managed to obtain an extreme weather coat but didn't think of getting gloves. My outlook worsens considerably more when I fail to find any recognizable landmarks among the blocks of cement housing. Divisions of the apartment blocks nearby the forest from where the blue light came are no different than the memories of any other blocks in the cement coliseums. Each rondel looks like the last one and I start to wonder whether the simulation isn't just a constantly repeating sea of brutalist architecture. But then, I see a familiar face in the window. An ugly, sickly face of furious eyes and thin features nestled in a woolen scarf. The woman behind the second story window screams with the same fury she met me with six months prior and her speech remains incomprehensible. Her bony fingers shoot up and point off to the distance in between the presumed curses she throws at me. I take her crooked finger as a sign and as a sign it serves. 
Within a couple minutes, I find myself standing on the outskirts of the housing projects on a road that leads to the dark forest I had seen the first time I entered the simulation. The forest beyond the confines of the city looks healthy and bears no resemblance to the fields of dead trees from my dreams. In the pale lights of an overcast midday sun, however, I start to notice the trees shift. With each step I take, the tall green crowns of the woods start to bend and lose their foliage. The change is imperceptible at first, yet as single steps turn into minutes of journey, my mind is put at ease. The forest is still a ways off, but it's starting to look much more familiar. A sublime confidence festers in my heart. Soon enough I will find the source of the devilish blue light. Soon enough I will fulfill Simon's wish and destroy the source of Professor Egghead's power. My optimism is quickly undone by an unearthly roar in the sky. Lifted by fleshy wings, far too small for its mammoth body, flies a familiar beast of perplexing proportions. Its massive breasts hang from its chest like veiny sandbags and they reach the ground well before the rest of the monstrosity. The sex sphinx looks just as discomforting as it always did, yet its sideways mouth has been torn asunder and has been transformed into uncountable flaps of main skin. The egg-shaped academic destroyed my flesh to find you. Him and his terrible minions descended upon me because I offered you aid, and what did I get in return? How was my kindness repaid? The beast booms in a voice much darker, much viler than before. You disappeared. I traded my aid for an answer to your perplexing riddle, and instead of giving me what was promised, you disappeared. I'm so- Your apologies are worthless to me, little traveler. I should bring your life to an end right here for making me wait, but unlike you, I am a creature of honor. All I want is an answer to the riddle. I crawl, I crawl on the iron. I will not stop crawling until I reach the hole. What am I? My lack of response lights up the creature's puckered eyes. The snow on the ground around me turns to muddy water. What am I? The sex sphinx screams. That's not the whole riddle, I say cautiously, when my lack of response visibly infuriates the Sphinx. What? That's not the whole riddle. I was uh, waiting for the egghead to leave before I would give you the full version. Would you like to hear the whole riddle now? When I reveal to the Sphinx that the riddle was incomplete, its eyes start to sizzle against the skin that encloses them. The monster is furious. It wants me dead. Yet... The moment I offer to tell the whole riddle, the beast calms. Yes, please. The flabs of skin barely move. The voice of the beast is gentle to the point of begging. Never has there been a riddle I couldn't solve. I have thought of nothing else since you've been. The eyes sharpen. The creature remembers itself. The meaty maw flies open with fury and darkness. If you do not tell me to riddle this instant, I will punish you for your trickery. Puny traveler, I will fry you like a slab of bacon and then tear you to shreds if you do not fulfill your end of the bargain. Tell me to riddle at once. With closed eyes, I search my memory for Simon's voice. I find it. 
I recite the riddle and pray that the Sphinx will know the answer on its own. I crawl, I crawl upon the iron. I know no other than my mate. I crawl, I crawl until I reach my hole. The monster's burning eyes grow placid and dim. Under a tender hum, the strands of flesh that make up its mouth sway like wind chimes. The sex sphinx looks like tranquility personified as it tries to answer the riddle. I do not. I am shaking. The words of the riddle fly through my mind as I try to grasp onto some sort of threads of thoughts that would lead me to an answer. I give up. The sphinx says, almost cheerily. Crawl. Iron. Mate. Crawl. Whole. Nothing sticks. The words of the riddle float out of my mind and I am left with nothing but fear. I give up. The sphinx repeats, its voice growing dark. I give up and I am ready for an answer to the riddle. I try to remember the exact words of the riddle, praying for an answer to come to me, but instead I remember something else Simon said. The key to defeating the egghead is to destroy his source of power. A riddle without an answer, dear traveler, is just poetic nonsense. The sex thing says, its eyes tightening into two balls of burning light. I hope for your sake you have not misled me once more. Crawl, iron, mate, crawl, hole, the key to defeating the egghead. My eyes spring wide and my voice cracks. Key! I scream. The answer is key! The puckered skin around the beast's eyes loosens enough for them to almost fall out. Yeah. It says in a voice dipped in rapture, Yes, it crawls on the metal. It only has one mate. It only fits into one hole. Yes, a key. Oh, little traveler, how you have delighted me. Standing up on his wrinkled limbs, the creature stretches in pleasure. It continues to purr with satisfaction as its tiny wings begin to flutter. Wait! I yell. Don't go yet! The wings continue to flap, but they flap slower. The sex sphinx regards me with a cold curiosity. I am off to defeat Professor Egghead once and for all, but I cannot do so alone. Will you join me? Join you? Moments ago, I planned to kill you. The riddle has pleased me mightily. But do not delude yourself into thinking your fortunes have shifted that much. Why would I join you on a quest against the egg-shaped academic? For revenge? For revenge! The creature wheezes and shudders its body in a way that might suggest laughter. I hold no room in my many hearts for revenge. I only have space for riddles. The professor has, however, maligned me. I will not join you, but aid I will provide. The beast's fleshy maw shivers with a sudden intensity. With a gentle yelp from the beast, one of the strands of flesh dislodges from its mouth and falls at my feet. It flops from side to side like a fish, struggling for breath and then goes limp. Yellowish pus streaks from the end where it was severed, but eventually the thin strand of flesh turns dry and dormant. What? 
what is this? A weapon, dear traveler. May it serve you well in your fights against the egg-shaped academic. Now I must part, for I have more riddles to pose to those less well-versed than you. So long, dear traveler. May your quest fare well. Like an aged elephant, held up by the wings of a fleshy hummingbird, the sex sphinx rises into the pale sunless sky. Soon enough it disappears from sight, but its grisly visage threatens to linger in my memory forever. At first I don't know what to do with the strand of flesh that was left to me, yet during my walk towards the dead forest its purpose starts to become clear. It's a whip. I test my newfound weapon as I walk. A couple snaps catch me in the arm and legs, but soon enough I'm handling the fleshy whip like a wet towel of locker rooms long forgotten. When I finally reach the edge of the forest, the trees are just as crooked and withered as they had been in my dreams. At first I occupy myself by snapping the whip at the tree branches. The satisfying way the wood splinters at the point of impact brings a certain primal pleasure to my walk. Yet branch by branch and step by step, that feeling of purpose is slowly replaced with discomfort. Even though the sun is nowhere to be found, there is still light in the sky. It's not the air raid siren or flash of blue light that I fear. It's not finding the egghead source of power. The forest of dead trees stretches beyond me with no end in sight and the wanton destruction of its tree limbs loosens its charm quickly. I start to wonder whether I will find what I'm looking for, whether I'll be able to fulfill Simon's wishes. I get lost in my thoughts and my resolve starts to flounder, but I do not stay lost for long. I come upon a clearing, a perfectly spherical place without any trees or shrubs divided by a moat of water that smells of infected wounds. In the center of the circle sits an imposing cement shack with rusted metal doors. It's nothing about the shack in particular. It isn't a detail or a smell or a muffled sound or anything else that can be described through the confines of human perception. It's nothing about the shack in particular, but somehow it feels inherently wrong as if a part of my primal brain knew that nothing good will meet me within its confines. My body wants me to lift off the headset and never return, but I know I have found what I have been looking for. I know that I have found Professor Egghead's source of power. The Cabinet of Fever Dreams is written and produced by Mike Jesus Langer and is brought to you by patrons such as Moo, Serafina L, Lucky J. Horton, Kus, Bob Kondrick, Chicken Mixer, Daniel Wengel, Mr. Creepypasta, Charlie Cooper, Dante Kincaid, and Matt. If you'd like to join these fine people and support in the show and get early access to episodes along with a bunch of bonus content, drop by patreon.com slash Mike J. Langer. That's all for tonight. See you all on the next episode of Cabinets of Fever Dreams.